The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, good morning everyone and uh, welcome to the last day of this retreat. We're going to come to the big crescendo, the uh, final part of the path. And uh, this is all about meditation practice. So we started yesterday to have a look at this marvelous Anapanasati Sutta, the Sutta on Mindfulness of Breathing. Yeah. And we will continue with that this morning here. Yeah. And uh, yesterday we had a look at what you might call the preliminary factors of that, what you have to do before you even start watching the breath. And one of the most important things there is this, just this idea of becoming mindful, yeah? having a reasonable posture uh, and then becoming mindful. And mindfulness is always needs to be really ideally be established before you can do your meditation practice. And sometimes they, uh, the translations that we see are a bit unfortunate because they kind of give, in my opinion, the wrong idea. So, for example, sati patana is sometimes translated as the foundations of mindfulness. Yeah, for sati patana, the four mindfulness meditations. But uh, foundation of mindfulness gives the idea that it is the basis on which mindfulness is built. When really it is the other way around. Mindfulness has to be established first, and then you apply the mindfulness. Uh, so better to call it the applications of mindfulness, maybe, or the focuses of mindfulness, or something like that. Uh, because you start with mindfulness, and then you take the mind to samadhi through this process. That's really what it is about. Uh, of course, mindfulness does also get established on the way, but the basic minimum establishment is already there. Uh, so how do you know whether mindfulness is uh, strong enough? Uh, and this is something that you have to experiment a little with, uh, yeah, to see if you, uh, the mind is able to stay with the object. Uh, but the general idea is a reasonably peaceful mind, uh, yeah, not hundred percent quiet because that's uh, that's uh, uh, very that's quite rare. Occasional thoughts, you know, that's okay. Uh, and also also a reasonable degree of clarity, not a kind of a heavy mind or a slothful mind or anything like that, uh, but clarity plus a lack of uh, thinking uh, is basically what it comes down to. Uh, and the exact measure is something you have to find out for yourself. Uh. And um, once that is established, uh, that is when meditation can start to happen. So this is what we saw yesterday. We saw established mindfulness right there. Uh, Pali is a satting parimukkang upata petva. Upata petva means something like having established. In other words, it's something you do before you do the next part. And then, only then, comes the next part here. And then it says, just mindful, they breathe in. Or just mindful, you breathe in. Mindful, you breathe out. And um, you can see the little word there, just, uh, yeah, it's a, a small word in the Pali called eva, and it, that's what it means, it means just, uh, and uh, it's, that's quite interesting, isn't it, just mindful, uh, in other words, nothing else, you don't have to apply yourself, you don't have to uh, force yourself, there's no willpower there, as we shall see in the next, the last sutta for today, 
Uh, it is just mindful. That's all you have to do. Uh, so you have to sit back, be aware, uh, and there's no effort really required apart from this, the awareness of the breath. Uh, sometimes these little simple words like that, it's important not to overstate the meaning of these little words, uh, because uh, a word like this can occur quite frequently in the suttas, uh, but that is usually its meaning here. And the implications are sometimes the very interesting implications of these small little things. Uh, and one of the things that was always interesting, I mentioned this on, I think I mentioned this before, is where the Buddha talks about his Dhamma and he says nothing is missing, nothing is superfluous. Uh, yeah, the words that he uses are very precise and accurate uh, and he doesn't uh, kind of uh, this is one of the differences to me between the word of the buddha and the word of mo almost any contemporary teacher any other teacher uh, when you hear a contemporary teacher you may think well exactly what do they mean how precise are the wor other words one day they might, might contradict themselves and and all of these things and that doesn't mean that they are not worth listening to but it doesn't have the same precision as the buddha and i think that is exactly uh, that is what we should expect. Yeah, the Buddha starts out the whole Buddhist tradition. Uh, he lays down the foundation, uh, and for that reason, he purposefully is very precise to make make that solid foundation there. Uh, whereas uh, for uh, any other teachers, well, the foundation has already been laid. Now it's for them more to explain what the Buddha is saying and to kind of expand on that. Uh, so there's something very precise about these words, uh, and that's why they are to my mind, far preferable to read the suttas and to actually uh, listen to modern teachers. Uh, I mean, of course, we need to do both, uh, but the sutta should always be the foundation. It's always dangerous just to listen to modern teachers uh, because uh, it is often idiosyncratic the way they speak. It is not precise enough. Uh, you want them what they mean, and this is how you find out what Buddhism actually is. Uh, so anyway, just mindful. You breathe in, just mindful you breathe out. Yeah, so that's what we do anytime, all the time anyway. We just breathe. The only difference is that you're mindful. So that's kind of very simple. And then, what happens then? So uh, let's... Uh, uh, so then, when breathing in heavily... Yeah, this is, can also be a long breath, sometimes called the breathing in a long breath. Uh, they know I am breathing in uh, long or heavily. When breathing out heavily, they know I'm breathing out heavily. When breathing in lightly, they know I'm breathing in lightly. And breathing out lightly, they know I'm breathing out lightly. The... Uh, Pali words is diga, which usually means long. But uh, uh, maybe the kind of the idiom in English is more like heavily and light breath rather than a long and a short breath. So I think that's a reasonable uh, interpretation or re reasonable translation. Yeah, so you know that you are breathing in. There's nothing there about doing, it's just about knowing. Yeah. And then uh, they practice breathing in, experiencing the whole body. Yeah. They practice out experiencing the whole body. They practice breathing in, stilling the body's motion. They practice breathing out, stilling the body's motion. You will notice here the translation is a bit different from what we normally see. Yeah, and uh, does everyone know where we are? Page twenty-five, fourth paragraph on the top. 
it's a little bit different, which is interesting. It kind of broadens our perspective on what is going on here. So first of all, you just know. Yeah, you know the long breath and the short breath, or the heavy breath and the light breath. And uh, this is often what you experience when you do your meditation. Yeah, the breath becomes lighter as you go along. You can call that shorter as well. Uh, often when you start out, the uh, you know the it kind of takes takes a while before everything kind of settles down and becomes calm. And you need less oxygen, I suppose. So the breath becomes more light after a while. And uh, so that is how you begin. And then you come to the third step, which has the practice in experiencing the whole body. Yeah. And you will notice it goes from knowing to practicing. Yeah. So what exactly, why is there that difference? That difference does not exist in the, the there's a Chinese version of the sutta that actually has been lost in the Chinese version. And um, of course, one may wonder which one is correct, but usually the one that has more detail would normally tend to be correct because there's a tendency for these things to become uh, kind of evened out over time. You lose the detail of the original. Uh, yeah, This is a, a principle of, they use in, in studying these kind of texts. So why do you, what does it mean to practice here? Huh? Yeah, what exactly is that, what is, does that mean that you use willpower? Does it mean you force yourself to watch the whole body? Huh? What does the whole body mean? Here there are a few questions. Huh? This is one of the things, you know, you, you read the sutta slowly, you read it fast, when you read it slowly, you see all of these little things in there and you wonder what exactly do they mean? Sometimes they may not have any meaning, other times they may be quite meaningful. Huh? And uh, the idea here, I think, is not that you use willpower, because that uh, is quite quite clearly elsewhere stated to not be useful, but what it means is that it takes time. Yeah, If you are mindful, you can already see the light and the heavy breath. That's just what happens when you are mindful. So as soon as mindfulness is established, you will be doing that. But seeing the whole body, seeing the uh, what is here called the whole body, sabbakaya patisangvedi, experience the whole body, that takes time. Uh, yeah, you have to calm down, you have to stay still, stay with it. And as you do that, as your mindfulness expands and becomes broader, then you start to see this thing called the whole body. So practice here just means taking time. That's really what it means. Yeah, It doesn't mean anything else. Uh, so, um, um, so what about the whole body? Sabba kaya, what does that mean? Uh, does it, and this is one of those interesting little things, and it is often debated uh, what that means. And uh, uh, many people, so some people say it means uh, the physical, actual the body. You feel your body, your toes, your fingers, your whatever it is. Uh, uh, other people say it means the breath, uh, the body of the breath. Uh, so which one is it? Uh, and does it matter? Uh, yeah, interesting questions. Which one is it? The commentary says that the whole body here means the body of the breath. Yeah, The uh, Pali further down says that the breath is called one body among bodies. So it kind of specifically says that the breath is a body. Remember here that the, the word kaya, as I mentioned before in Pali, does not mean physical body. Usually it means a group of things, a group of phenomena, a collection of things, Yeah, collection of uh, breaths in this case. Or it can mean... Like a the, even the personality, or the collection of mental factors apart from consciousness, it can mean a large number of things. It doesn't necessarily mean the breath, uh, the the physical body. Yeah. So uh, I would say that the natural interpretation of this is anapanasati. It's not kaya kaya uh, 
nusati or anything like that. So I would say the natural thing is to understand it as the breath, especially when that is what the sutta says further down. So the whole body, you know, is always a degree of interpretation in these things. And so this is what you, I think, is the right thing here. So when, if it means the whole breath, uh, then what it means is that you get more clarity about the breath. Uh, initially, you are aware of the basics, whether it's heavy or light, whether it's long or short. Uh, and after a while, your, your mindfulness expands. You take in more of what is happening here. That is the idea here with establishing mindfulness. Mindfulness becomes stronger and stronger yeah, as you go along. Yeah. Sometimes people think that mindfulness is either on or off. Yeah, Either you kind of... Uh, not mindful or you are mindful, uh, but uh, that is a misunderstanding, the mindfulness. Mindfulness can be very super sharp or it can be very not very sharp at all. Uh, and usually we have a little bit of mindfulness. Yeah, We can catch ourselves in saying the wrong thing, sometimes anyway, in, in time. But uh, uh, at other times, mindfulness can catch everything almost, Yeah, be super sharp, especially after a state of deep meditation, you come out and the mindfulness is going to be super duper here and you can see everything that is happening here and that is kind of that is the sort of stuff that we're looking for here i think ajahn brahm calls it super power mindfulness and this is what you find in the suttas the buddha talks about mindfulness becoming stronger and stronger depending on the power of the five faculties the five spiritual faculties the more stronger the five spiritual faculties are yeah they all increase depending on how much wisdom you have the the more you know, the higher up you are in terms of awakening, uh, the more powerful are the five spiritual faculties. And the five spiritual faculties include sati, mindfulness, uh, the um, sat-indriya, indriya as a faculty. Uh, so they're increasing all the time. Uh, yeah, it, it, it varies enormously. Uh. So here, what we're seeing is we're seeing mindfulness increasing. Uh, we're seeing the ability of the mind to see everything uh, is becoming stronger yeah you start off seeing a little bit and you see more and this is already quite pleasant yeah when mindfulness is getting clear etc this is already at, at the very beginning of this path it's already quite uh, quite nice quite peaceful uh, and a feeling that the mind is quite powerful because it has this ability to see what is going on uh. so sabbakaya but there are also Many people, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, I think the Goenka tradition is one of them that uh, interpret this to mean the whole physical body. Uh, and uh, is that bad? Is it is it evil or is it acceptable? Uh, <laughs> it's not that evil, yeah. Or just uh, and uh, so uh, does it matter? And the answer is it may not. It probably doesn't matter all that much. Uh, what matters is that we are able to carry on, yeah. We're starting from the simple breath. Maybe we go via the physical body, but we have to come back to the breath again because the rest of this is about the breath. So whether we kind of get sidetracked a little bit on the body or not, as long as the meditation develops in the right way, that is what matters. Of course, it is always advisable to get get it right. Yeah, And I would say the right thing here is to watch the breath all the way. But... If your meditation works, yeah, you're having success, then don't worry so much about it. Uh, these things are, often we debate these things endlessly, yeah, and uh, often there is no final solution because people often come with views already established. Yeah, My teacher says this, and so you hold on to what your teacher says, and there's no 
budging of people sometimes. Uh, and for example, me, I'm unbudgeable. I'm one of those. Uh, yeah, I hold on to this, grasp onto this firmly. But uh, <laughs> so uh, y you know, uh, sometimes you have. There comes a point when you are satisfied. Okay, enough discussion about these things. I'm not really interested in discussing this point anymore. I'm not just going to get on with my meditation practice. Uh, so experiencing the whole breath. Uh, yeah, that's how I understand that. Uh, and um, uh, breathing out, experiencing the whole breath, uh, in other words, continuously. And then comes the practice breathing in, stilling the body's motion. Uh, and this is probably a translation you have never heard before. Uh, you know, this is all Ajahn Sujato translation. Uh, so I don't know if you like this, but it's quite nice. The Pali is the uh, Kaya Sankara. And the word sankara really means like motion or activity. It's very close to what it means from the, the verb karoti, which actually means to act, which is related to kamma, which means action. Yeah, all of these are related to each other, these words. Uh, sankara means to put together, yeah, act. Sang has this idea of together. It's like create. Yeah, you can call it creation sometimes. Uh, and uh, so. This is settling down, the kaya sankara, kaya sankara pati sambati. Pati sambati means to calm down. So uh, bodily motion, uh, usually bodily motion in the suttas is, is understood to be the breath. It is particularly defined as the breath because that is at this point the main part of the bodily motion. You're not doing very much else. But uh, it is interesting that uh, could very well be the case here, as he translates it, which is kind of fascinating. It's actually broader than the breath. It is defined as the breath. That is probably only because that is all that remains at this point. But actually the word itself, kaya sankara, bodily motion, is maybe a better way of thinking about it. So whatever motion there is in the body, whatever experience there is, and usually you only experience the body if there is some kind of motion, yeah, if, if it becomes really still, you stop experiencing those parts of the body. So that's why the breath here is becoming, you're stilling, calming down the breath. How do you calm down the breath? Just by chilling here. Yeah, you chill and the breath calms down by itself. This is such a cool path, yeah? That's why, that's why they call it chill, because the path is cool. You chill and you cool. <laughs> It's a nice path, isn't it? All you have to do is just wait, you hang in there, and everything calms down, and you experience all of these positive emotions, nothing to be done. And you just, whoa, happiness. It's just so easy. Yeah? We complicate, we tend to complicate it so much. That's why we have endless questions about meditation. But no, stand back, watch. Don't try to control it. Don't let it be. Don't expect anything for the future. Enjoy what you have now. Oh, it's coming, it's coming. Don't think like that, yeah? I, so many people think like this. That's not what the purpose is. The purpose is to enjoy whatever you have. Because if you enjoy whatever you have, then you come out of your meditation, you feel satisfied, you are a better person, you are more relaxed, you treat people better afterwards, and the whole path goes forward. Every time you meditate, really, it has a larger purpose just than that meditation. So don't get fixated on having a particularly good meditation. If you enjoy what you have in this meditation, regardless of what it is, then you come out afterwards, you feel elated, you feel glad, at least a little bit, yeah, even if it's just a tiny bit, yeah. <laughs> 
and then you uh, are kinder in the world and that kindness in the world is then which in the long run will help to support you in your practice so make sure you enjoy it forget about those blooming expectations they are a pain in in everything they are really really bad yeah so calm, allow, allow things to calm down allow things to happen naturally this is kind of the critical part here and it gets very nice yeah when things calm down in this way it's already starting to feel really good you may not have any bliss yet in the mind or much joy in the mind but just that sense of peace is already very nice at this particular point and this what we have seen now is equivalent to the kayanupasana of the satipatthana sutta yeah kayanupasana contemplation of the kaya of the body, of the breath, of, phys- of any kind of physical phenomena or whatever. This is equivalent to that. So this is how you do the Kaya Nupasana. Now, um, if you read the Satipatthana Sutta, yeah, I'm going to get a little bit technical with you. So uh, uh, if you read the Kaya uh, Satipatthana Sutta, you will notice that it has that particular paragraph we have been reading now is exactly the same in the Satipatthana Sutta. It's found under the first Satipatthana Kainupasana. Yeah? That's where you find that paragraph. If you go to the next Satipatthana, the Vedana Nupasana, contemplation of feelings or sensation, whatever you want to call it, there's nothing there about breath meditation. Go to Chitta Nupasana, nothing about breath meditation. Go to Dhamma Nupasana, nothing about breath meditation. It's only the first of the four Satipatthanas that mention breath meditation. Yeah. And um, that is kind of interesting because here, now we have just looked at the first tetrad, the four, first four ways of practicing mindfulness of breathing, but then you get more. Yeah? And the second part here is equivalent to the Vedana Nupasana. Then more mindfulness of breathing is equivalent to the contemplation of mind. The last one is equivalent to the contemplation of qualities, dhammas. So according to this sutta, uh, you do satipatthana, all the four satipatthanas involve mindfulness of breathing, but that is not found in the satipatthana sutta. So why is that? (laughs) Is that interesting to you? I don't know if you're interested in this kind of thing, but uh, I am, so I'm just indulging here. (laughs) So why is that the case? And uh, I think the the answer is that, uh, uh, that that part does not really belong, kaya, the mindfulness of breathing does not actually belong specifically to the kaya nupasana. It may not originally even have been there. Originally, it may have been much simpler instructions there. And this is the sort of thing that you can find out by studying these texts in great detail, Yeah, by looking at alternative recensions of the text in Chinese, in Tibetan, in Sanskrit, in Gandhari, in other Prakrits of, of northern India. And by comparing all of these things, you can go back to an earlier source of what the suttas were about. And uh, I think it is quite likely that, that Anapanasati was put in to that uh, a Satipatthana Sutta at a later point. It doesn't actually belong there because Anapanasati belongs to the entire Satipatthana, not just the Kaya Nupasana. That is a very important point uh, because once you get that, uh, what it means is that then 
Mindfulness of breathing is the entire path of meditation. It's not just the beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta. It is the entire Satipatthana Sutta that is practiced through mindfulness of breathing. And that's what the Buddha says yeah, explicitly. And so then you wonder why it is only found in one place in that Sutta. And this shows you the danger sometimes. When you read the Sutta, it shows you the danger of just reading one Sutta. Very common in the Buddhist world to put a lot of emphasis on the Satipatthana Sutta. This is the greatest, the best, this is the Sutta where the Buddha explains meditation practice. But the Buddha never says anywhere that this is the best, yeah? Forget about everything else, this is all you have to do. The Buddha doesn't say that, we say that. So who is right? Well, the Buddha is hopefully should be more right than, than we are. So why do we say this? And I guess we say it because of tradition, because of uh, history, because of how these things have developed. We have heard it from our teacher, they heard it from their teacher, and then someone, you know, gradually these things kind of come to be. Uh, and then you bow down to the Satipatthana Sutta and, and these kind of things, and you, you think this is the, uh, the core of the Buddhist message. But really, that is not how the suttas talk about this. Uh, this is only how we talk, tend to talk about this. Uh, so it's, a, it's actually a very significant point because it means that the way you look at meditation practice uh, is slightly different. Uh, you don't take the breath meditation as a preliminary exercise that then you skip after a while and you start doing other things. No, you take the breath meditation all the way to the goal, all the way to the end of the path. Uh, and to me that's... Uh, Great, because it's so simple. Yeah, it's a very simple meditation. The breath is a very natural meditation. It's universal. Sometimes I heard people say, "Oh, yeah, you know, the kind of the uh, the, the suttas or meditation practice is like an Asian thing. It came out of India and it spread out to most of Asia. It's not something that is applicable, perhaps in the in the Western context, because the West, you know, culture is different and all of that." And um, but I think that's I think that's misguided because if you do a meditation like the breath meditation, it is following a universal thing. You're following the breath. Everyone has to breathe. So because of that, it is really it is just you know it is just stillness together with mindfulness together with the breath. There's nothing there that is culturally specific. It is all universal things. Yeah. So something that is applicable to everyone. If you do mantras, like, and you say some kind of Sanskrit word, okay, then it's a little bit more culturally specific because you're using something which is meaningless in English. But uh, this kind of thing here is very, very universal. Uh, and uh, I don't think you, to think of it as belonging to a particular culture, I think is, is really, uh, is, is silly. Uh, doesn't make any sense to me. Uh. So that is the... Uh, first tetrad. Yeah? So you come to the place where you calm down the breath. And this is uh, where we have kind of finished the uh, comes to the end of the Kaya Nupassana contemplation of the body. Yeah? And then we have to make the transition over to the next tetrad. Yeah? Tetrad, something that has four factors. The next tetrad is then the, the Vedana Nupassana equivalent to that in the Satipatthana Sutta. And uh, let me, I'll just read it out first of all. Yeah? And then we'll uh, discuss it. They practice, or you practice, breathing in, experiencing rapture, piti. They practicing, they practice breathing out, experiencing rapture. They practice in, experience breathing in, experiencing bliss, sukha. They practice breathing out, experiencing bliss. They practice breathing in, experiencing 
these emotions. <laughs> these emotions. Um, uh, chitta Sankara? No, is it Chitta Sankara at this point? No, what is it? It is, um, anyway, they practice breathing out, experiencing these emotions, they practice in stilling these emotions, uh, they practice breathing out, stilling these emotions. Uh, um, I think it is Chittas, and let me just look this up because for some reason I can't remember this now. I mean, this should be very obvious, but maybe I'm getting old, forgetting things. It's <laughs> scary. Not maybe, I am getting old, that's absolutely sure. So, um, that is delusion for you right there. Maybe I'm getting old. How can anyone say that? That's just. <laughs> Oh, so, um, okay, so we go to, always go to Sutta Central, huh? yeah, this is where I kind of like to go, then, because there you have all the translations of various uh, people, uh, depending on which person you prefer, you can just choose your favorite, uh, uh, your favorite. So here we are, so we have the, uh, 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 mindfulness of breathing. We have two translations only, only two. Okay, one by Bhikkhu Sujata, one by Bhikkhu Bodhi. So you take your preference, okay, ini, mini, mini, mo, and uh, we go for mo. So, um, what does mo have to say here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, Chitta Sankara. That's what I said. I said Chitta Sankara. I got that right. So, okay, so my mind was just a bit uh, fuzzy. So, Chitta Sankara is what you, you calm down now. Um, so, what does this mean? You can see here we are going from just experiencing the breath to experiencing all of these amazing things. Yeah, rapture, piti, uh, emotion. Pita, chitta Sankara really is just the movement of the mind or the exper mental experience. That's what it means. And of course, the mental experience right now is just that. Yeah, it is the bliss and maybe anything else that comes with that bliss, the sanya. Uh, chitta Sankara is actually described elsewhere as san Vedana and Sanya. Vedana and Sanya being perceptions and feelings. So that's really what this is. So it's just an expansion of that, really. So here we are going from the breath to experiencing pleasure. And uh, so how do we make that transition? Uh, uh, yeah, how do we go from one to the other one? And very often that transition happens automatically. Yeah, this is kind of the whole idea that this whole process is really ideally automatic. Yeah, so you just wait, you relax, and because you have lived well, there tends to be a good feeling under there, and that good feeling then kind of comes out, and then it ends up being a rapture. Yeah, the energy, the beautiful energy is going through the body, perhaps, or just the general feeling of just gladness. Yeah, it depends on how strong it is, and all of these kind of things. And you will experience these um, very positive, beautiful feelings. Uh, but very often it just comes about very simply uh, by just relaxing, doing nothing at all. And these things just arise out of nowhere. Uh, uh, but sometimes it may not happen quite that easily. And then what you have to do is maybe encourage it a little bit. Uh, yeah, just by very gently uh, nudging your mind in the right direction. Uh, giving rise to something very simple perception uh, that you put on top or you uh, take with your breath. 
and this is where the anusattis I talked about the other day come in. Yeah, anything that gives rise to joy is 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 fine, but the anusattis are specifically laid down by the Buddha as uh, joy producing. Yeah, the recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Uh, the uh, uh, chaga, the generosity, and, and sila, and devata uh, we talked about the other day. So any of these things is fine. Uh, or it can just be a very positive feeling about what you're doing. Wow, you know, it can be a feeling of your kalyanamittas, uh, which is mentioned elsewhere in the suttas, uh, uh, which is very similar to the sanganusati, except it's a bit broader. Uh, yeah. Wow, I'm here at the BSV and all my Klanamittas and good people and supporters. Uh, and you feel the sense of elation, of lifting up, of uh, you know, leading off into a sense of gladness and joy as a consequence. Uh, so any of these things is, uh, is uh, perfectly is great. Uh, in the suttas, they're also talking about the Dhamma Veda. Uh, you the Dhamma Veda, Atta Veda. And Veda is this strange word which means... Uh, it means like feeling again there, yeah. But um, not just feeling, also knowing at the same time. And very often that pity, the joy comes not just because you feel good about what's going on, because you have an understanding. Yeah? When you understand what this is about, uh, that understanding gives rise to a, a degree of gladness because you see there's something remarkable going on here. Uh, you read the suttas and you feel elated by being in the presence of these teachings. Uh, yeah, Atta Dhamma Veda is that uh, often translated as inspiration in the Dhamma, in the teachings. Uh, inspiration is a positive feeling, but it's also a degree of understanding coming together. And from that Dhamma Veda, seeing the beauty of the teachings, come also the Atta Veda. Atta is the purpose of the teaching, is the goal, is where those teachings are pointing to. Yeah, what are they pointing to? Well, they're pointing to happiness, they're pointing to positive, they point into nibbana, they point into satisfaction, to contentment, to reduction in suffering. That's what they're pointing to. That's the whole purpose of these teachings. And so you gain that inspiration in the meaning, which that is the meaning of the teachings. That's where they're going. That's what you are aiming at. That's the goal of this whole path. So that is another way of thinking about it. Yeah. So and, and another way, just as, as I say, counting your blessings. One of the greatest blessings is that, you know, you ha we, we have these teachings in our life. It's another way of thinking about these teachings. Uh, make it practical. Uh, having a sense of gratitude, yeah. Whoa, yeah, this is another great way of giving rise to that joy and happiness. Uh, so make it real. Do something which works for you, uh, yeah. So at this point, sometimes what you may have to do is just very gently nudge your mind towards something like that. Uh, yeah, very gently nudge your mind. Oh, I've been living on these precepts for so long. What a marvelous thing that is. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, and as you gently nudge your mind, uh, don't use force. Don't kind of try to recall things too hard. Uh, just allow that memory to arise by itself. Uh, and then take that together with the breath. And then when the breath with that goes together, then maybe you will start to experience some of these positive feelings. Uh, and then... You carry on, yeah. You're still doing breath meditation, so now you are experiencing the breath together with the rapture, the piti. The Pali word here is piti, and uh, so this rapture means joy, yeah. It's like um, I think the reason they use the word rapture because it ha often has a kind of physical component in the body. So the um, uh, you are breathing and you're experiencing rapture at the same time. Uh, the two things coming together. Uh, so. Um, yeah. 
and uh, the, uh, the the rapture can be experienced in many ways. That's what they say. Uh, the Visuddhimagga talks about a large number of ways you can experience this, and uh, but the basically it's this joyful feeling inside sometimes being physical in the body like almost like energy going through the body or something like that so you practice you do this as you breathe in and breathe out and then you allow this to deepen again yeah and the deepening of this is when you move from the rapture to the bliss the sukkha sukkha being a more refined happiness as you allow things to calm down as you take this um, experience further it becomes more refined uh, happiness comes in many different degrees uh, from the ordinary joy you might have in everyday life you just feel glad yeah yay things are going well uh, and then in meditation it becomes more still and peaceful so it's a more beautiful kind of joy uh, and then you take that even deeper because your mindfulness expands even more uh, uh, and the stillness becomes more profound and that is a more beautiful happiness again yeah it's like happiness upon happiness deeper and deeper uh, and uh, piti is a more a little bit more basic form of happiness than sukkha sukkha is an off the deeper stilled happiness uh, and then uh, you breathe in experiencing these emotions uh, yeah uh, so um it doesn't really add all that much. I'm not sure exactly why that is there. This is the Chitta Sankarang Patti Sangvedi. It is maybe a little bit that you experience all the mental qualities that come with this. And uh, I think the main reason why it is there is because of the next one, which is the stilling of these emotions. Yeah, you're now you're calming things down even more. There is still a degree of movement here. The breath is in the background. These emotions are not going to be entirely stable. Some of them are by the nature, like Peter, by the nature is a moving kind of uh, energy. Uh, yeah. So now you're calming it down again. Uh, and this is all happening again automatically. Uh, yeah. Becoming even more peaceful, uh, even more profound, uh, even more beautiful. Uh. And, you know, uh, this is what I mean. This path is just so amazing. Yeah. I don't know how far in these, this process you have been before. I, I guess, uh, you know, some of you will not have got that far. Some of you may have gone quite far, depending on time and place and all of these kind of things. But it's this magnificent process. It all comes about because of watching the very humble breath. And from that, if you direct that in the right way, you nudge the mind a little bit in the right way, all of these things come out of that. It's almost like magic. Yeah? How is this possible? How can the breath give rise to all of these things? Yeah, it's kind of uh, extraordinary. We don't know what we're missing out on. The vast majority of people that run around looking for things and they have no idea what they're missing out on. What is actually available to the human mind if you direct the mind in a positive way? We just need to get the message out there. Listen. Yeah, this is possible. Yeah, yeah, whatever, and then walk on. Yeah, this is usually what happens. We see that in the suttas as well. Yeah, they kind of yeah, yeah, and they walk on, whatever. They, they don't have time, or they it's just too, you know, they, they have no experience because they can't really relate to it or whatever it is. But uh, if we can get the idea out there that Buddhism is really the answer, as far as I'm concerned, to the meaning of life itself, everyone should be interested. So we have to package it right. I think. Yeah. Anyway, you can help. Uh, please give me some ideas how we can package this better so everyone uh, comes about, uh, comes here. We should really 
this, yeah, I, I guess we have COVID restrictions now, but really this room should be packed to the ceiling yeah, with people. People should be fighting at the door to get in so that you can hear this kind of teachings, right? Let me know. I want to get in. Please, no. So hopefully they won't punch each other because they're so keen on coming in. And <laughs> that would be kind of heading in the wrong direction. But yeah, this is how important it is. And yet that is not what is happening. Why? Because we are just too deluded sometimes to understand what is there. Anyway, <laughs> so um, you will notice there is two things here that kind of you comes out of this meditation. Yeah, two qualities that I mentioned before that by which you can understand whether your meditation is uh, going right or not. Uh, one is the happiness of the meditation, the joy. This should always be kind of heading in the right direction, becoming more and more joyful, less and less suffering. Happiness aspect, the other one, is the calming aspect, yeah, the peace in meditation. Both of these things are hallmarks of meditation. Going deeper, becoming more peaceful, and becoming more happy. Yeah. These are two things that go together. And you can see this here throughout. throughout yeah, the rapture, the bliss, deeper and deeper, and then you have the stilling, yeah, stilling the body, stilling the emotions. Yeah. And so one thing after the other, and there's more uh, coming with this later on. Huh? So uh, now that section there is equivalent to the Vedana Nupassana of the Satipatthana Sutta. And that is quite interesting as well, because you will have heard I have said that it's not really necessary to contemplate the painful feelings. Yeah. And you will notice there's nothing here about painful feelings. And yet, it is equivalent to the Vedana Nupassana, the contemplation of feelings in the Satipatthana Sutta. In the Satipatthana Sutta, of course, they do talk about painful feelings. Yeah, You uh, know the painful feeling, uh, uh, and you know the happy feeling, etc. Right? The Dukkha and the Sukha Vedana. Uh, and yet here, it is not mentioned. Uh, so, w what is going on here? Is there a discrepancy? Uh, and the answer is that you can bypass the painful feelings. You don't need them. They're not really required. You don't have to contemplate them because you understand these feelings by their absence. And this is what we mean if we're going to talk about true insight. True insight comes from understanding impermanence. Yeah, And impermanence doesn't mean just coming and going. Impermanence in the deepest sense means disappearing. Yeah? And here, that is exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing the disappearing of the problematic feelings, that is how you come to understand them in a deeper sense. So it's not required to watch the, watch the painful feelings, it's required to understand them. And watching and understanding are two slightly different things. We have already watched enough painful feelings in our life. Is that right? Has anyone not watched enough painful feelings in their life? We, we have enough of that, now it's time to kind of move on to something else. And this is what this is about. So. Happy feelings, yeah, and this, this is what makes this so uh, magical. Everything just goes through positive mental states. So that is the Vedana Nupassana. And uh, you can see also it doesn't really say anything about the worldly happy feelings. The uh, Vedana Nupassana in the Satipatthana Sutta talks about the Amisa feeling. Amisa means like worldly, yeah, to do with the flesh, if you like. That is also not mentioned here. Why? Well, because you don't really need to experience those things, because those things too are experienced by 
indirectly by their absence. You understand that they are gone and now you're experiencing the niramisa sukha. Niramisa means the spiritual happy feelings. Yeah, not not of the flesh, but of the of the spiritual path of the mind instead. So that is the Vedana Nupassana for you. Then the next one is the Chitta Nupassana. This is the next uh, thing here. This is equivalent to Chitta Nupassana of the Satipatthana Sutta. They breathe in experiencing the mind. They practice breathing out experiencing the mind. They practice breathing in gladdening the mind. They practice out gladdening the mind. They practice breathing in, stilling the mind. They practice breathing out, stilling the mind. They practice breathing in, freeing the mind. They practice breathing out, freeing the mind. All about mind, so it, it makes sense that this is citta nupassana. Yeah, citta is mind. And so here we are coming to the third of the four satipatthana. So. What does it mean to experience the mind? Yeah, it is not obvious. People often ask, "What is the mind?" I don't know what the mind is. Yeah, how do you define the mind? And uh, this is something I learned from Ajahn Brahm. Actually, almost everything I know I've learned from Ajahn Brahm. But uh, you know, this is one specific one. And uh, the idea of experiencing the mind is that you have to take away the things that are not mind. When you take away the things that are not mind, then you are left with the mind. So what are the things that are not mind? They are, well, they are the five external senses yeah, and the body. So when the five senses kind of almost disappear, not quite yet, you get, you're still in the background because you're still doing mindfulness of breathing. The breath is still kind of there, you know, far away in the background somewhere. But the prominence now is the mind because the senses are fading away here. You know, the smell and tongue, taste, of course, that kind of gone a long time ago. The, you're not, not seeing anything. The s- sense of sight has largely turned off. Yeah, uh, Hearing is kind of fading away. You may occasionally may hear something in the background, but it's not very prominent. Uh, the body, almost completely gone. Uh, you may have a little bit of experience of the breath, but the five senses are really disappearing here. And when the five senses are gone, what you are left with is called the mind, yeah, that is the world of the mind. Six senses, according to Buddhism, five external ones, and then the mental sense. So by removing those five, you f- the mind is left. So what is that mind experience? What is that like? And usually, what happens when the five external senses disappear is that what you are left with is this thing that is often called the nimitta. Yeah, nimitta. That is what is remains, and that nimitta can take many forms. But uh, the ideal nimitta is just a kind of a bright light in the mind. Uh, yeah, beautiful bright light uh, that stays there. Uh, and a, a light that is shining. Some people say, oh, I saw the sun. Yeah, it's not actually the sun, of course, but it's something equivalent to the, to the sun. Uh, and that is what arises at this particular point when all of these other things fade away. Uh, and that is how the mind is often experienced. Uh, this is also the point at which the mind can do all kinds of tricks with you. Uh, Remember the idea that the mind is an incredibly powerful creative force. The mind creates everything in this universe, uh, um, also through rebirth and through whatever. Uh, 
but also very creative within itself. So this is the point where you can create all kinds of images. Some people don't see any images in meditation. They just go straight to the light and they just bliss out. But other people have this very big creative propensity of the mind. And the mind kind of conjures up all kinds of stuff. And people get lost. They think, oh yeah, I'm seeing my past lives. I'm seeing the heavens and the hells. I'm just really surfing around in... A, what is it called? In um, uh, psychonauts, is that what they call them? The psychonauts uh, who kind of, you know, they, they kind of travel around in the uh, kind of this hyper other dimensions or whatever. Uh, and it can be very fascinating. So uh, you play around for there for a while, and then, but then you come back to the simple images, the simple things, uh, uh, not this kind of diversity of the mind. Uh, so this is where the mind starts to appear and you experience that mind. Yeah? It becomes even more blissful at this point because you're leaving the world behind. So how do you make that, that uh, transition from the feelings to the mind? You can see there are like transitions here as you go along. Yeah? Some of them are a little bit more tricky than the other ones. A lot, most of the time it just flows. That's the ideal way. But sometimes maybe you have to just nudge the mind just very gently uh, to kind of get it on the right track. Yeah. And um, here, usually what happens is that when the bliss and the happiness builds up uh, and the stillness builds up, that these uh, um, mental images, uh, yeah, the nimittas that we call them, uh, they appear by themselves. Uh, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. yeah, it kind of appears and it just goes. Uh, uh, but sometimes it doesn't. Or sometimes it may be weak. Sometimes it may be flickering a bit or it may not be solid. And you get really excited because you feel something <laughs> magical is about to happen. But don't get excited. It's a gradual thing. Things don't usually happen like that. It's gradual anyway. Nothing to be too excited about. Just enjoy. And uh, sometimes you just need to stay longer with the previous stage. Hang out with the Vedana Nupassana. Experience those feelings. See if you can take them even deeper. Uh, how do you take them deeper? Just by staying there. Just by enjoying it. Uh, by uh, you know uh, not allowing yourself to proliferate. Uh, and focusing on the core of those feelings. Uh, and uh, just gently, gently the mind becomes even more powerful. Uh, and eventually it kind of gets... Uh, transformed into this brilliant light. Uh, and when that is stable, uh, when that is solid, that's when you kind of gently move across from one to the other one. Uh, yeah, it, it happens automatically. You don't even have to move across. It's just kind of almost like these things kind of just transform. One thing transforms into the other almost, and you just move with the flow. Yeah, and you go with these flows. Uh. So, um, and then you are experiencing the mind itself. Uh, yeah? And now it gets it's really, these things are, again, this, now you're starting to enter another world at this point. You're starting to leave behind the, the world of, of the five senses. Uh, we're talking about before how we are always immersed in the sensory world, the kama loka, the world of uh, desires, the world of uh, uh, that was always around us. But now, for the first time, you're starting to move away from that. Uh, you're moving into a different realm. Uh, you're still seeing lights, but now you're seeing things with your mind's eye, no longer with the physical eye. It's a different kind of seeing, yeah. yeah? And now it gets this is kind of really super duper pleasant, uh, and you start to understand why leaving the world behind actually is a very good idea. Yeah, it was really nice to leave the world behind because the alternative is far far superior to anything you had before. Uh. But you're not finished yet. Uh. 
This is the magic of this journey, is that it's just deeper and deeper and deeper, going more and more towards bliss and happiness and stillness. Yeah, and you think, I can't take, like Ajahn Brahm said, I can't take any more bliss. I don't know what, how I'm going to do it. This is too much bliss. <laughs> yeah, but you can take more bliss. And, and you, you have to, because that's where the path goes. Yeah, and uh, so this is the, what happens next. You start experiencing the mind, then we have to go on. Yeah, and the next thing we do according to this is that we gladden the mind. Yeah, if it, as if it wasn't glad enough already, you gladden it more. Yeah, and uh, how does that gladdening happen? Again, by being still, by being aware, by not proliferating, by focus on the simplicity of the object that you have in front of you, not diversity. And by doing that, uh, the stillness becomes greater. Uh, and the happiness that comes out of that uh, yeah, also expands and becomes greater. Again, more and more peaceful, more and more blissful as you go through this. Uh, yeah, so you're gladdening the mind through this natural process that is happening here. And then the next one is that you practice in stilling the mind. Yeah, He has immersing the mind in samadhi, but stilling the mind is, I think, easier to understand what is going on. So you're stilling the mind by, again, staying with the object, not keeping the perception very simple by focusing on the core of what is going on. Yeah. Again, this idea of happiness, joy, gladness coming up uh, together with peace. You have two things coming together here in this, this thing here. Yeah. You hang in, you hang in there, you hang in there, you don't do anything, you just enjoy what you have. Uh, and then comes the very last stage. Uh, they practice breathing in, free, freeing the mind. They practice breathing out, freeing the mind. Uh, and this is the last thing that happens. And after this, then we come to the insight parts. But this is the last things here on the path of samatha, of calming, of samadhi. You're freeing the mind. What does it mean to free the mind? What is it being freed from? And what it is being freed from is fully the sensory world. Yeah, At this point, you have go beyond the sensory world for the first time. And when you go beyond... It means that you no longer have any access to it. And this is what is so interesting. You go into a different realm where you cannot no longer return to the sensory realm. And part of the reason for that is because you're also freeing the mind from the will. The will is what enables you to move the mind. But when the will is gone, yeah, you can no longer do things. Of course, you cannot choose to go here or there either. So you are very happily stuck in a realm beyond the sensory world. The mind is freed from the five senses. This is the main meaning here of freeing the mind. But also it is freed from the five hindrances. Yeah, There's no hindrances left at all in the mind at this point. The mind is just brilliantly clear and bright. And there is a, a nothing there to stop that brightness or brilliance no sloth and torpor no restlessness no doubt uh, no nothing uh, and you're just uh, very peacefully happily uh, blissing out uh, and no you don't have any choice about it really uh. this is the freeing of the mind this these are called this is where we get into uh, the jhana states yeah this is the freedom of the mind they are called literally called vimuttis uh, in the suttas uh, vimutti means freedoms uh, and uh, the Pali here is vimochayang chittang, the freeing of the mind. Uh, how do you free the mind? 
you don't free the mind. You allow the freeing to happen. This is what, what's going on there. You stand back. You allow these things to happen by themselves. So, um, yeah, the mind is freed. The mind is bliss out. Things are absolutely stilled. It doesn't get better than this. Well, actually it does. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> You're, you never experienced anything like this in your life before when you get to these things your first time. Maybe you have experienced them in the, in the previous life, but it's probably a long time ago. So you are really, at this point, you are just, uh, wow, this Buddhist path is just awesome. And um, at this point, you have also reached the footsteps of the Tathagata. Yeah? If you remember the Chula Hatti Padopama Sutta, the Sutta on the shorter, sim the, the simile, the, sh the shorter Sutta on the simile of the elephant's footprint, uh, uh, it says in there that when you reach the first jhana, you have reached the uh, footprint of the Tathagata, just like a footprint of an elephant. Uh, and so these are, now you know what the Buddha is about. You start to have an understanding of what the Buddha is about. Yeah, you see the footprint. The Buddha must have been here. That's what it means to have a footprint. If the Buddha was here. You start, to, you start to get a feeling for what the Buddha is. It's a large footprint, right? Like the footprint of the elephant. Some kind of being of extreme significance must have walked here. That is kind of tells you something about the jhana states and what this is. Now the freedom of the mind is becoming very profound. This is why, why this is so powerful. And uh, so you have a feeling that you are in the vicinity. You're coming close to the Buddha. If you follow this footprint a bit further, maybe you will see the Buddha himself. And of course, that seeing of the Buddha himself is the insights, yeah, the understanding, deeper understandings. And then you have a, then you know what the Buddha is because you have the same insight as the Buddha himself had. So you free the mind in the first jhana, and then you can take that deeper into the second, the third, and the fourth jhana. These are all various depths of freeing the mind. And if you cannot make a full breakthrough to, you know, stream entry or whatever with the first jhana, then you take it further to the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one. And the fourth one is really the end of the Buddhist path. Then you have reached the point where you uh, insight happens virtually automatically because the mind is so extraordinarily profound at that particular point. Uh, so that is the uh, samatha part, the calming part uh, of the Anapanasati Sutta, yeah? equivalent to the first three Satipatthanas, the Kaya Nupasana, Vedana Nupasana and Chitta Nupasana. And uh, once you have finished those three calming aspects, uh, then we come to the last tetrad, which is really about insight. So now you may think that what this means is that first of all you calm, 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 and then you have insight, insight, insight. Yeah, and so there is like a distinction between samatha and vipassana, but not really, because as you go through this process in the beginning, the first twelve steps, that also brings with it vipassana. There is no samatha without vipassana. Yeah. So there is vipassana all the way through, but the point is that the deep vipassana, the deep insights, uh, they happen now, the ones that lead to the final breakthrough, to arahantship or whatever it is. Uh, but samatha vipassana goes through all of these steps all the way. Uh, they cannot be separated. Uh, they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, why? Because they emerge <coughs> through, through the same process, and that is the process of giving up the five hindrances. Uh, 
So there you are. So that is the uh, that part. And then after the uh, meal, after lunch today, we're going to have a look at the last four steps of this uh, marvelous Anapanasati Sutta. So please have a nice lunch, uh, and uh, we'll see you back again at two o'clock. Yeah.